0: recovery elevator episode 402
1: really this time around i feel like something has just clicked differently like i don't i like i always knew that i wasn't by not drinking i wasn't depriving myself but it never really felt that way
2: uh like this yeah that should work mix down (laughs) yeah keep going yo yo mix down
0: three four yo yo Wiki
2: Wiki, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki Wiki, mix down. Guys in the house. (laughs) I love it. Wiki Wiki, mix down. There we go.
0: Three, four. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Emily. She's 34 years old from Cincinnati, Ohio, and took her last drink on August 28th, 2022. Great job, Emily. Listeners, happy Halloween. I can tell you a drink won't make your overall Halloween experience better. Perhaps some listeners have already reached this conclusion since most of the festivities went down on Friday or Saturday night. And I say that with no judgment at all as I have been there. Yes, Halloween is usually tied to a cocktail or 20, but here's another way to look at it. I think Halloween is an embodiment of rule 22, which is our internal rule here at Recovery Elevator that says to never take yourself too seriously. And I think dressing up as a cell phone, a zombie firefighter, or the state of Utah is a good way to do that. I think my best costume ever was when I went as the state of Utah in 2004. I was walking around Newport Beach, California, and I remember two police officers stopping, getting out of their car, and taking a picture with me. They said it was the best costume they had seen that night. I, personally, am very proud of that giant cardboard creation. Okay, moving on. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do such a great job. And now let's hear from one of our solid sponsors, Exact Nature.
3: Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Listeners, Recovery Elevator's very own Chris Oyen is gonna be in person at Recovery Reinvented. This is an in-person one-day free event on November 3rd this year in Grand Forks, North Dakota. This is taking place at the Alaris Center. Chris is gonna be doing some live recordings that we'll use for the podcast later. There's an expo full of recovery resources and their lineup of speakers guys is off the hook so if you want to learn more and if you can attend in person if you're in this area of the country highly recommend doing so there is a link in the show notes with more information thank you liz okay let's get started today i want to talk to you about what you can expect on this af journey in terms of emotions a couple weeks ago on a cafe chat. We entered three words or phrases to describe our alcohol-free journey into a website that created a word bubble or a word cloud of sorts. In the chat, we had people in early sobriety and people with years away from alcohol. And here's a list of words that popped up. We have transformative, uncomfortable, one day at a time, grace, aligning internal and external, saying yes to life, hopeful, scary, growth, confidence, courage, maturity, recovery, Healing. Don't quit quitting. Freedom. Exhausting. Struggle. Connection. Community. Hopelessness. Desperation. Challenging. Strength. Courageous. Discovery. Addict. Eye-opening. Hope. Insightful. Anxious. Mindful. Pride. And alcoholic. Now a couple points I want to pull from this. First off, regarding the podcast title, What you can expect in recovery, in terms of emotions, is everything. If you're on day 50 and you feel hopeful, courageous, and confident, then great. If you're on day 50 and you feel hopelessness, desperation, and you're anxious, then you're not doing anything wrong. You haven't missed the mark. What's going on is your human being. We as in humans, not just alcoholics, feel all these emotions. Sometimes we feel all these emotions in a year a week, or even in a single day, and sometimes at the same time. These emotions are there to keep us alive. They are internal algorithms designed to keep us close to the herd. In fact, we are pack animals. We are nature. Our emotions work in concert with the emotions of other human beings to maintain bonds with our communities. It's a wonderful dance, which at times, and I'll be the first to admit, can be quite uncomfortable. Listeners, I used to think I was doing recovery wrong when I had a bad day or a really bad day. I'd say, hang on a second. I've been alcohol free for X amount of time. Shouldn't it be all backstage passes to third eye blind concerts? Sometimes. And listeners, sometimes there's the Bruno voice that says, Paul, you shouldn't be behind the mic. You're feeling like shit today. Or this week has been a total mess. I wish somebody would fire me. (laughs) I kid you not, that dialogue has swirled in my dome. On the flip side, I've had fantastic days, weeks, and months where I tell myself, finally I'm succeeding in recovery, I am your podcast host, only to come crashing back down to baseline and then usually a slight depressive dip. First off, this is the normal human experience. Join the party. I've used that line a lot lately, join the party you are human emotions pleasant neutral and unpleasant as Thich Han calls them are the foundation of a human life what does it mean to be human to feel and my goodness do we feel there is indescribable sadness and suffering on the planet and indescribable joy and in miracles as well you feel both sides of the spectrum equally now what gets us into trouble is the attempt to escape the unpleasant emotions Now, don't beat yourself up. Some emotions are very painful. In fact, the mind and body, which is one, according to studies, cannot distinguish the difference between physical and mental pain. Another part is our society, capitalism, tells us we are doing something wrong if we feel like dog doo-doo and we need to sign up for a gym or start a new diet. So again, what can you expect in recovery? A life away from the booze? I can summarize this with one word, everything. This is the basis for Murphy's Law. We can expect everything, but we have a brain that doesn't necessarily petition for change. Now, this reconciliation is our job. It's using the most powerful cognitive tool on the planet, the human brain, in a way where we leave room for chance and things we can't control. It's not easy, and thankfully, people like the Buddha, Tai, Ramdas, Jesus, Mother Teresa, and so many more have given us great guidance along the way. There's one more thing I wanna do with the words I read earlier. I'm going to put them in good, bad, or positive and negative buckets. Here it goes. Here are the good ones. Transformative, grace, aligning internal and external, saying yes to life, hopeful, confidence, courage, maturity, recovery, healing, don't quit quitting, freedom, community, strength, courageous, discovery, eye-opening, hope, insightful, mindful and pride. Okay, here's the bad or the negative bucket. Uncomfortable, scary, exhausting, struggle, connection, hopelessness, desperation, challenging, addict, anxious, alcoholic. Yes, I am the one who put them in a good or bad category or bucket, but they are not good or bad. Now this concept is fun to explore on paper and in discussion, but really difficult to employ in real life. Here's the point. All emotions are created equal, and you need them all equally. Here is why. In the world of duality, we need opposites for defining purposes. You have to have sad to know happy. If you only had good days, at first it would be great. Then it would be a semi-charmed kind of life, and then it would be blah. You wouldn't know what a good day is. Let's go a bit more here. You need black to know white. You need silence to know sound. Hope for hopelessness. You need Spud Webb to know Dikembe Matumbo, or you need short to know tall. You need darkness to know light. You need your little brother learning drums in the basement to appreciate third eye blind. And you need a Sour Patch kid to know what a Swedish fish is. And one could even make a case for God, as in you have the unmanifested to have the manifested. So I want to tie this into recovery one more time. Do not gauge the success of your recovery on your emotions. You will feel them all. Yes, do more of what you enjoy, but thank the other side for telling you what you don't enjoy. Now, in terms of who you are and all that jazz, it's the same principle. You need to know who you aren't before you can learn who you are. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Emily.
3: Life can be overwhelming and no matter who we are, problems are guaranteed to arise. For me, sometimes when new problems come up, I feel a bit paralyzed. It's important to assess situations and to talk to people I trust when it comes to finding solutions. I've gone from thinking I have to figure it out all on my own to asking for help when it comes to problem-solving mode. There's no better feeling than finding solutions and gaining confidence through problem-solving. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. Therapy has always been important to me because I need someone who can catch my blind spots and be clear with me. Someone who can see things that perhaps I'm not catching, and someone that can give me professional feedback without me feeling hurt or judged. We take such good care of our bodies. The mind should be no different. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com elevator.
2: Recovery elevator. Please help me welcome Emily. Emily, how the heck are you?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. It's a nice cool morning. Yeah. I'm relaxed. I'm not at work. So things are good.
1: Same. It feels good here in Cincinnati. It's like 65 degrees.
2: I like it. I know it's, I know winter's coming. Like it's just around the corner, but I like these cool fall mornings.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: Emily, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober?
1: Yeah, so it will be a month on Wednesday. So August 28th was the first day that I did not have anything to drink, although I still had a lot of alcohol in my system.
2: That'll happen. (laughs) So coming up on a month, that's amazing. Nice job. How are you feeling?
1: Um, I feel great. It's kind of the first month is, you know, you're tired a lot and um you're just kind of trying to heal and catch back up you
0: know mm-hmm.
2: yeah there's a lot of stuff happening there's a, a lot going on in, like physically and mentally but it's uh um, mm-hmm. you know we we visited for just a minute before we started and that's i think it's kind of a, a beautiful time as well yeah for sure all right before we get into it emily can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you're from what you do for a living Married, family, anything like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: All right. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. It is a beautiful, wonderful city, and I love it. I am married. I have two children. They're five and eight years old, two little boys, and they're fantastic. And so is my husband. I run a bar in downtown Cincinnati and I've been bartending for a very long time since I was 20 so it's been like 14 years and what I like to do for fun really depends on if I'm sober or not but being sober I really really enjoy um, just all things hands-on so I'm like refinishing my stairs in my house right now I do a ton of house projects I went to art school so I'm always just crafty and making stuff but yeah,
2: that we have different ideas of fun. <laughs> <laughs> house projects are rewarding,
1: yes, very rewarding. It's really the reward that like you know, I don't know, it's the process too it's therapeutic, honestly <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's cool, uh, and two little guys five and eight you must you guys must have your hands full,
1: yeah, definitely um, I have my I have a six-year-old niece and she's with us three days a week too. So really it's like, I have two and a half kids, but, um, they're all best friends and they play well together. So it makes things really easy.
2: Those are fun ages too, though. Oh I yeah. Like, like a lot of work, but, but fun.
1: Yeah. I had to like really make a point to remind myself to put the dollar under the pillow last night, you know, cause the tooth fairy came. So <laughs>
2: my kids now at, uh, 16 well, my 16 year old isn't losing teeth. Thank goodness. But my 11 year old's like, can I just have some money? <laughs> all right, dude.
1: Yeah. Just rip a tooth out.
2: That's, that's kind of his gig. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about my son's gums. We're here to talk about your journey with alcohol. Let's dig into it. Can you tell us, uh, Let's talk about your relationship with alcohol. How did it start? Let's start from the beginning.
1: Okay. So my family, they, you know, family of drinkers, but it was never anything crazy. You know, my dad always had his light beers like every night when he got home from work, but I can't really ever remember a time when I was a child seeing my parents drunk. That just came, you know, a little bit later. Like when I was in college, <laughs> they were like, oh, we can let loose now. Mm-hmm. But so that, uh, so really, I mean, I didn't see any like unhealthy alcohol problems growing up, you know, nothing like that. Just the usual booze being shoved in your face constantly, you know, from the time you're born, just watching TV. But when I, uh, the first, I do remember the first time that I got drunk, I was, I was 13 years old. It was summer going into high school and I was at a friend's house and we got into her dad's liquor cabinet and we found some pure grain alcohol. And we just, yeah, I know it was, it was, we made good decisions. Um, and we mixed it with lemonade and we just had like one little cup of pure grain alcohol and lemonade. And the two of us drank half of it together and we were just like, Whoa, this is crazy. (laughs) And then we just like giggled and put a movie on or something. But so that was kind of my, uh, my intro into it throughout high school. Like my, my parents didn't really keep booze in the house too often. Uh, like occasionally if they did, like I would always sneak some, I really liked just kind of getting out of my head and having some sort of release something else. Like my parents had a pretty ugly divorce growing up and, um, and I was just there was, there was just a lot going on. So I was always just looking for some kind of escape, but then anyway, so through high school, I dated someone who was like three years older than me. So he could get booze, you know, when I was still younger, um, in college, I got a fake ID when I was like 18 years old. So I had been going to bars and acting, you know, like an adult and Mm -hmm. all of that for a few years before it was actually legal. I moved to New York city when I was in college and, I dated this guy there and we would just go to the bar every night. And I was 20 years old then, but that kind of got me into that like drinking bar culture. And I was like, man, being a bartender would be really awesome. Like this would be great. And I kind of thought of it as like, that's a really good skill to have because I want to move away from Cincinnati and I can take that to any city I go to, you know, there's always going to be a job. People are always going to drink and I'm, good with conversations. I'm good with people. So that, that was the start of that. When I moved back, I was still 20 years old. I moved back to finish my senior year of college and I got my first bartending job. And since it it was in Kentucky, just right across the river, you need to be 20 and one day to bartend. (laughs) I know very weird. Um, actually I think that law changed recently. So I was, I was not allowed to like stay at the bar when I got cut. So they'd be like, all right, get the hell out of here. See you later. So then I would just go to the bar across the street and they were like, oh yeah, like you work, you know, over there, you're obviously old enough. Mm -hmm. So it's never carted or anything, but I actually, that's where I met my husband too. He lived right around the corner and I was always like, I'm never going to date a regular. Like that's just too weird. So then I just get married to one and have babies with him. (laughs) But so we've been, we've been together for like 13 years now, and we've always been drinking buddies together. And so it's been kind of a, a weird journey. My sobriety through the past few years, me trying to get sober has been a weird journey for Todd as well. You know, we're just learning a lot <laughs> together and separately but then, so we dated for about three years and I moved down to New Orleans for a year. He was in college up here still. So we did long distance for a little bit. I had a couple bar jobs down there and it was just, I mean, you know, New Orleans is such a drinking city mm-hmm. and it, it honestly reminded me a lot of home because Cincinnati is very much that way. There's like Catholic churches on every corner and bars on every corner. And that was uh yeah I mean that's what it was like in New Orleans too I moved back up here and we were working at the coolest bar in Cincinnati it is no longer there which is good because my friends and I that all worked there were like yeah we probably like one or multiple of us probably would have been dead if that bar were still open um just because of I mean, just how we drank there. It was not unusual to have 10 shots on your shift and still function. Like that's the craziest thing. I'm I'm a petite person with a very fast metabolism. And I just like, you know what? I'll drink you under the table. Watch me. You know, it was like a challenge. I've I've always I've always liked a good challenge. And then I mean that just became unhealthy. But so I got pregnant right after I, I mean, well, less than a year after I moved back and I bartended those busy nights. It was insane. Just pregnant as hell. I mean, I was 25 years old. So like, you know, I could do it. Yeah. So being pregnant and working in that environment, it was just really annoying to me that I couldn't, that I couldn't drink and that I couldn't be drinking the way that I was before with all my friends and having our crazy nights and stuff because it was just exhausting when you're not drinking
2: let's just take a a quick pause like up to this point so you're you said 25 and pregnant Mm -hmm. and like that that statement like catches my attention like it's really it was really annoying not being able to drink you know and you had mentioned taking you know taking shots during your shift and and Even going further back to your your parents' divorce, you know, finding like just finding comfort in the alcohol. Yeah. Up until this point, had you had any like negative consequences? Because like I hear that like alcohol is serving its purpose, which I think it does for a lot of us. But had Mm -hmm. there had there been any sort of like hits that had come as as a result of it?
1: Not not anything of like severe consequence, like it was more or less like I would be hungover and read the schedule wrong and like show up to work an hour late and just be like, I'm so sorry. Like, cause it's, you know, not who I am. Like I'm, I'm there all the time. I put 110% in. So it was more or less a lot of stuff like that or else just making a stupid Facebook post or texting
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> annoying thing, you know, like all the <laughs> usual shit.
2: Yeah all those Facebook posts, man. I look at my memories daily and I like, I don't know. It's like, I just want to kind of kick myself in the stomach. Oh yeah.
1: I've been, <laughs> I, I haven't been on Facebook in like five or six years and it's the greatest thing. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, all right. And then before we, before we keep going, cause I want to hear more about this, like this recognition that you had of the, like the annoyance, but had you ever had any any times leading up to this point, before you know, before you were pregnant, where you had tried, where you had ever like thought about quitting drinking or trying to stop drinking, or was this kind of the first time that, like, as a result of the pregnancy, that you, that you that you stopped, and was this was this your first time that you that you realized like, holy shit, if I take this away, it's not this is not a great thing or not a great feeling.
1: Yeah, it was really it was like the first time that 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 it really hit me. Like my husband and I would for, I mean, for as long as we've been together, we regularly take breaks. So we'd be like, Oh, let's choose February. Cause it's 28 days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we'd make it two weeks in, and we'd be like, ah, you know, pat on the back, like, good job. We made it two weeks. We're not alcoholics. Like we can make it two weeks and then just go right back at it. Yeah. So I think the first time that I had realized that I drink too much, it was my one of my best friend's 23rd birthdays. And we were over at her parents' house. It was just like three of us and her little sister and her mom and dad. And I was talking to her mom and I'm like, Nancy, I'm like, I just realized that I have not taken a day off of drinking for an entire year. And she was just like, wow, like you should, you should probably think about that a little more. And I was like, man, whatever. I'm young.
2: It's fine. We'll deal with
3: this yeah, later. yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're in your twenties, you
1: just don't see past your twenties. So.
2: Yeah. That is, that is a fact. <laughs> uh, I think about that. That's been, I've got a 16 year old daughter and I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Like, how can I, how can I have these conversations like to make you, like to help her to see it's like she's a good kid it's not like she's out doing crazy shit yet (laughs) but but yeah that that young age like all you like I don't know that that's youth maybe it's I'm sure there's I'm sure somebody knows about like brain development and like when that happens but yeah you're just living for today
1: yeah and and I was just so excited to be out of college, out of school, out of my parents' house on my own. I'm like, look at me. I'm doing it. Like I'm making good money. I'm paying my student loans. I'm, you know, like financially responsible. Like, sure. I'll get shit face every day. What's the big mm-hmm. deal?
2: Yeah. Well, let's keep going uh, along this story for you. So you're 25 pregnant and you're having this recognition. Like you you realize that not being a part of it is that that it bothers you.
1: Yeah and it's i mean like using using alcohol as a coping mechanism that kind of like it was a huge shock to my system becoming pregnant like when i found out i was pregnant my husband was on his way to um spain he was like touring with his friend in spain and france or a couple friends and i like found out i was pregnant and i was like oh shit like that's not what i expected and so like totally Emily move. I just texted him like, yep, look, looks like we made it. Like you knocked me up. And cause I thought he was on a plane, like across seas. And he was like in the airport at, in Boston, I think, or something like that. And he just called me like what? And I was like, yeah, I just chugged two glasses of wine and I'm done now. And I have to go to work. But so it was like really weird. And of course, like when everyone's used to seeing you do shot every other minute, everyone's like, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? And I'm like, no, fuck off. Like, stop. Um, Although I was, but (laughs) so
2: your business.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even though like, I'm a totally open book. So everyone's like, yeah, Emily would just tell us. And I'm just like, Oh, like I can't, my parents don't know. So I, I did throughout my pregnancy, I was not like, I mean, I was sober the entire time, but you know, like I didn't get like buzzed or drunk, but I would have, you know, I would, I would have like a, what did I, Oh, I loved those Stiegel Radlers like in the summer they're like 2.5%. It tastes just like lemonade or something like that. But so I would, you know, like occasionally have one of those or so then after I remember, and I was like, was it my, my husband was totally, he was drunk as balls. Like when I was like, Hey, uh, we got to go to the hospital. Like I'm a week past due and this baby's like coming out. And so he was just so hungover for the birth of his child. Like it was a whole long process, you know, how birth goes. So, mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm sitting there, like, I'm just, you know, in pain for obvious reasons. And and I just remember feeling so bad for Todd. I was like, oh, I feel so bad for him. He's so hungover. And like, in retrospect, I'm like, fuck you. But <laughs> um, but we've talked about it. So we're fine. Um, <laughs> but then after I had the baby, I was like, cool. I can just carry on life as usual. And that rocked me. Like, I, I would drink every day, but it, I wouldn't get drunk every day cause I was breastfeeding and there's all of that. And I wasn't sleeping and then I couldn't sleep and I was just miserable. And I'm like, Oh my God, my life is so completely different. And everyone else's lives are just still going on the same, you know, Todd's still working at the fun bar. I mean, I was too, but just very short shifts and during the day and all that. So it was, it was a big adjustment and, um, And then I like worked my way back into my alcoholism. I ended up getting out of bartending and I stayed in the industry. I did uh, booze sales. So then I just had a license to drive around with open containers and um, go from bar to bar at 10 a.m. be like, hey, like who wants a shot of this? You know, like, come on, we got some new products. And I really honestly thought that I would drink less doing that. And that was not the case at all because I just had so much booze all the time. Then I got pregnant with my second and I was much better about like, after having the baby, like I didn't care if I didn't drink all the time, you know, like I would still drink every day, but I wasn't upset about it. Like I was just like, Oh cool. Here's my new buddy. And like, this is fun now. But then After I went back for maternity leave, I was like this, I'm so out of this job. I don't want to do this. And I got a really great bartending job at like a high-end steakhouse in Cincinnati. And I mean, that is just like the top as far as tips go in the city, in the industry. I mean, just so much money. And it's, it was a very, very intense job like definitely the most stressful job I've ever had in my life. It's you just need to be so on point. And, and on top of being a bartender, like it's like, it's just so exhausting having to talk to people even though I like it and I'm good at it and I enjoyed my job. It is so draining. Um, So that's where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to have, you know, a few drinks while I'm getting ready for the shift because you get anxiety about going in to go work at night and be crazy. And then, it ended up. And I mean, I, I started there when Sal was three months old. So I had my, my like portable breast pump. And so I would take like a 15 minute break and there was nowhere to pump. So I'm sitting in the handicapped stall on the floor. And what I would do is I would fill like breast milk storage bags with like six ounces of whiskey, put them in my bag, take them in there and I would be pumping. And then like, after I'd pump, I would just shoot like six ounces of whiskey and mind you, it was always like turkey one oh one, like I go hard. So um yeah, man, my makes liver my
2: mouth burn.
1: Yeah, I mean it makes everything burn, honestly. But uh so then I would be like, okay, now I've had my little break, I did my mom thing, I'm ready to go back there and like be fun Emily, you know, and make sure these people are having a good time. So then afterward, I mean, by the time I got off work everyone was asleep. It really wasn't like a huge deal. Like, I mean, at first when Sal was still so young, I would go right home, like, because he would wake up when I got home and I'd feed him and all of that. But, um, once he started getting a little bit older and sleeping through the night, then it was just every single day going out after work, um, with my coworkers. So we could, you know, like decompress and drink our faces off. And then eventually it just led to I mean, just the way it goes more and more drinking to cope with things, to cope with all the problems that are happening, all this. Um, And then it's like, I'm having a terrible night. So sure, I'll go to the bathroom and do a line of blow, like, and, you know, pet me up. And then in the morning, smoke weed to deal with my hangover. And it's just this horrible, vicious cycle. But I was still waking up, getting my kids up, feeding them healthy meals, you know, doing all of the mom stuff. So I kind of justified me going off the rails at night because I was able to still keep it together.
2: I think a lot of us have that, that conflict. We, you know, we have our version of, of what you were doing, where we're self-medicating on uh, how many different levels to, to get through whatever it is, like whatever life is happening. Mm -hmm. And then to still have, you know, for you, it's this work uh work and then being a, a mom and a caregiver at home and it's like well all right i'm accomplishing everything i'm supposed to be accomplishing and it yeah. and that 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 quote unquote high functioning. i used to say that i was a high functioning person but like looking back it was i don't know it, i yeah. guess it, it could have been worse yeah. i don't i don't know that's what, it's that's a, a weird phrase but but yeah i think it perpetuates the, it perpetuates that cycle. It keeps it going because we're, because we, you know, we are fulfilling our requirements, but it, it feels, it feels like shit.
1: Yeah. I mean, and through, through that, I, what I was not realizing is that I was taking care of everyone else and I was not taking care of myself. Mm. So that was kind of, I mean, in order to, to I mean, once my kids got old enough, then I'm like, Oh shit. Like I really need to take care of myself because that's what they need to be seeing. It's not just survival mode anymore with babies. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, now I need to teach these humans how to actually be humans and and take care of themselves. And that, that kind of self-reflection really is what got me on my path to getting sober.
2: Was there any like one incident that kind of brought upon that self-reflection or is it just like, just like the prog the Progression of like your kids growing older.
1: Yeah, really, it was the progression because like I've always get shit done. I take care of shit. I make sure that like you know there aren't like fires that I can't put out. So I never allowed myself to reach a rock bottom, which in some senses I like in the thick of it, like in the thick of like drinking. I'm like, God, I wish that I would just reach a rock bottom so it would like light a fire under my ass but I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. Obviously I wouldn't, like I don't wish that I had a DUI or anything like that or, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it was just kind of everything compiling. And it was the very beginning of 2020 was the first time is when I found recovery elevator is um, when I really started to like pre pandemic. Right. Like when I really started to try and I was like, okay, I was listening to it every day. I, I, was running. I was waking up earlier. I was like just starting to drink a little less and taking days off and stuff and really trying. And I was about three weeks in when everything shut down and I was like, Oh, well, fuck this. (laughs) And then I was just like, my husband was bartending at the time too. So we were just all of a sudden stuck at home, you know, my like Enzo was in kindergarten. So he like school was shut down. So all of a sudden the three of us are in our house And I just did so many house projects and drank so many boxes of wine. Like I just, I put on, I think like 30 pounds in three months. Like that is disgusting. (laughs) And it was all alcohol. So, and I I mean, like I'm a petite person. So 30 pounds is like really, really wearing on my body, on, you know, my organs.
2: And it doesn't feel good. Mm -mm. well and if especially if it's alcohol you know there's just all the other shit that goes along with that too just yeah feeling like your guts just hurt like
1: yeah yeah exactly your your skin's tight you're swollen like you walk up a couple stairs and you're like what the hell like did i just run a marathon um so going so going back to work i i you know it was three it was almost 3 months that we were off go back to work that was incredibly stressful just having to have covid small talk and wearing masks and our I had to wear heels to work by the way that was awful so working in heels in like a tight black cocktail dress 40 hours a week with a mask on and having to talk about covid and politics was like the worst thing ever
2: mm-hmm.
1: so eventually i Let's see. So then it was January. So the following year, January of 21, I, I did like, I was kind of drunk at work one night and I thought that I had messed something up. And the next day I was just in this, I was terrified to look at my phone, just guilt and shame. I'm like, I'm going to lose my job. And I it like, I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't, I, it wasn't anything that big. <laughs> like I wouldn't have gotten fired for it, but I'm just like, Oh God, I have to be perfect so that really kind of kickstarted. I was like, this has got to stop. I cannot do this anymore. And so January 17th of 21 was the first day that I had taken a big break and I quit for about five months. Oh. Um, we, and it was, it was great. The the first month was awful. It was terrible. My husband and I fought constantly and I was, I had started seeing a therapist. I think that, November of 2020. And I just went to her crying like, Hey, I need help. I I can't keep doing this to myself. This is just messing up everything in my life. This is not where I want to be. So, mm-hmm. and she's fantastic. I still see her and she's helped me through like so much stuff. So that, that big break that happened then about a month and a half in my dad had like a really bad heart attack and we all like, didn't think that he was going to make it. And, And I stayed sober through that. And that was really incredible for me. Like number one, being able to work where I was working and get sober and then also go through all of this like terrifying, scary family stuff. Yeah. But that was eventually I, five months we went to, um, my husband's from new Orleans. So we, we went down to new Orleans to visit family and show the kids like where dad's from and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like I did really good. Like I can have a few drinks or whatever. And the first couple of days, I think I just had like a couple of drinks each day. And then I got drunk the last four days. And then from there it went, I came home and I was like, okay, that's out of my system. So I thought, so I didn't drink for another two weeks and then I drank for three weeks straight and then I stopped for three weeks and then I drank for another two weeks and then stopped. And then it just, I'm like, whatever, here I go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> during these during these starts and stops it's i mean it's hard on our body because i think because i think one like when we pick up a lot of times it's not there's not an ease into it it's we we drink how we always have but like internally if you'd have these these dry spells uh like when you pick back up like internally how what was going on
1: really, it would be like, okay, well, I, I would like justify my mind. Like, that's cool. I just had two weeks off. I did a great job. I can do it. So I can like have a drink today, not a big deal. And then I just, I I don't have an off switch really. So I also like, I have ADHD. So like my brain is constantly like craving dopamine hits, like it's just trying to find them everywhere. So, you know, and you get that from, from alcohol, So I would have a drink and then I would just be like, Oh, well, I had a drink. I might as well just have a drinking day. You know, it's not just a drink it's a day. So then from there, I'd wake up like a little hungover and I'd be like, Oh, well, I did it yesterday. So I might as well just do it again to get this over with. And it's just back to the cycle. So yeah, it was, I mean, there was like a ton of internal struggle, but, and then, you know, then I would just be like, okay, I'm sick of this and stop. And then really what got me onto the, my most recent, very long binge was towards, I wanted to get out of that um, restaurant job. It just, I, I was working like Friday through Monday. My husband's got Saturday and Sunday off. The kids are in school and I, I had dinner with my family three times in 2021. Like, and that's ridiculous. I just, It wasn't a life and it it didn't matter how much money I was making. I'm like, I'm miserable doing this. So, Mm -hmm. and it took a lot for me to leave that job, like a lot. But when I finally got to the point when I knew I was going to quit or I started looking for other jobs, um, I was like, fuck it here we go off the rails. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to go hard while I finish this out. Like, cause I don't care if I get fired. Like, I mean, I did, I, I never want to leave anywhere on bad terms and I don't like to disappoint, but that's kind of where that went. So one of my, um, one of my good friends had reached out to me. He was opening another bar and I was out of the industry. Mind you, I was like, this is it. This is my last industry job. I can't yeah. do this to myself. And the only reason I even entertained doing the job that I'm doing now is because one of my dear friends is like, Hey, like we do this with me. And I was like, man, I really don't want to, but <laughs> cause I don't want to be in a bar. I'm like, but I would love to work with you again. And he was like, cool. Like our buddy JP is like, JP just like signed on too. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. I got to do it. So, so then here are the three of us just um, managing this huge bar downtown and building it kind of from the ground up. Like it was just a shell when I started on. So I I took another month off probably in like April this year, I think. I mean, but I was just working nine to five, like painting walls and helping like with construction stuff and just starting to get the things together for like opening. So that wasn't bad. But then once the craziness of opening the bar happened, like absolute insanity, like working, you know, 19 hour days, I was like, yeah, here I go again, just down that hole. And with the kids starting school this year, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to get back on a schedule to really do it and really do it well this time. So here I am again.
2: Well, I'm glad, like, I'm glad that you're here. And, and it's, you know, you said it, you said it earlier that you don't, that you don't necessarily regret anything. And I, and I, I feel the same way. Like I've done a lot of, done a lot of shit that, I, that I'm that i not proud of, but that's, yeah, that's the path. Right. And it's, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, a cop-out. I think that's just recognition of it's taken what it's taken to get us here. Yeah. So in these, in these last, you know, coming up on a month, how have things been going as far as, as far as like, are you doing similar things that you've done in the past that that you found successful or are you trying new things what what is this first month looking like for you
1: so it's it's been this time around it's been a lot easier for me just I think because I've had so many like tries at it Mm -hmm. um so I I know what works I know that keeping a schedule I know that actually going to bed helps (laughs) um so I've got, you know, my like journaling podcasts. I do, um, I don't know if you've heard of that the language learning app Duolingo. I'm oh, like yeah. every, oh my God, it's great. Every time I get sober, I'm just like, whoa, like all over it. So <laughs> what language? Um, French. I did, I did French through high school. So now I've, i feel like I've probably got like six years of French under my belt. My I turned on my eight-year-old to, to Duolingo. So he does it every day. And he's doing Spanish. Okay. Um, but I really, this time around, I feel like something has just clicked differently. Like I don't, I like, I always knew that I wasn't by not drinking, I wasn't depriving myself, but I, but it never really felt that way. Mm -hmm. So this time around, like I actually feel that way. Like I feel like I'm doing something good for myself and I am not being deprived of not drinking. And I think a lot of that has to do with the like position that I'm in right now. Like, like, like I've done every, pretty much every facet of the industry aside from running a bar, which a lot of previous positions, essentially I was, but it just, you know, wasn't my title and all of that. But, but now like, I, I feel a sense of responsibility like we have a, a very young staff and, and we know that we're kind of training up the next generation of bartenders and I want to provide for them everything that was not provided for us when we were their age, you know, like, yeah. like a healthy work environment. And so I just, I'm constantly thinking of who I'm influencing by my actions. I mean, cause I think about it every day with my children and then having my niece here too. Like, I'm like, Oh shit, here's a little girl. Like, okay. (laughs) So let me like really teach you how to like be a woman and not, you know, deal with a bunch of bullshit. So, so it's kind of, I feel that way with a lot of the younger staff too. Like, I'm like, I've got to stop just pounding shots in front of them because that is not, I don't want them to think that that is all the industry has to be. And I mean, like, through my through my journey for the past few years I've been trying so hard to find resources for people that are in the industry and it's it's kind of it's there's starting to become more but I mean one of the reasons why I wanted to why I wanted to talk to you and be on the podcast is to talk about you know like is to have someone's perspective from inside the industry um because a lot of times you hear stories and it's people that were in the industry and they're out now and I'm like this can happen. You can still do it. It's, it's hard. And I mean, I don't want to do it forever, but.
2: There is, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but we had a, I had a gal on out on the West coast and she talked about uh, Ben's friends, which is a, uh, she's, she was, I'll, we'll we'll link her episode i don't want to retell her whole story but anyways like she talked about her love and her passion for for the service industry mm-hmm. and that's what this ben's friends is all about is i think they do some online stuff and they also have a handful of a handful of in-person places but but she but she talked about that in her interview is that she's like i got rid of i think she got got rid of her first sponsor because they told her well you could never do this and she's like this is what I love. Like I love this, and I also want to be sober.
1: Yeah, it's doable for sure. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work. Yeah, but but it's doable.
2: Yeah, and I think I think we can find a way to do the things that we love, and and you know, there's there's steps that that we can take, and, and finding support, and and I just I love your heart the way that you talk about wanting to to have. Like to recognize your influence, like not just on your children and your family, but I, I think we can have an impact on the people that surround us and, and to create those healthy environments. I think there's so many people who have been through, you know, I work in like the uh, blue collar field with mechanics and electricians and it's all like, well, shit was tough on us. So it's going to be hard. It's, we're going to make it tough on you. And this, it's like this never ending cycle of shit. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But
2: everybody hates hates it because it's rough and it sucks and and we get defensive like, well, I I had it rough, so you're going to and it's like, well, maybe I could I don't know, hold on a second. Like, what if we made it better for for them than it was yeah. for us?
1: Instead <laughs> right? of just yeah.
2: continuing the suffering, but
1: That's one approach.
2: Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, and it's like I I I really thought about it. Like, I'm like, I can't just stop drinking and then seem like you know, the not fun per sober person that's like working at a bar. So like, I mean, and I'm goofy and ridiculous. So I've shotgunned my fair share of non-alcoholic beers or like just get everyone together to like do shots of water and stuff. I mean, I've been doing that for a long time, but you know, I still say the fuck word all the time because that's (laughs) fun and funny, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
2: uh, yeah, sobriety does not have to be, it, it's not boring. I mean, it can be, I guess if we.
1: But so can drinking.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> that's, that was such a thing is that I thought, I think there's so many of us that fear sobriety that we're not going to do anything. And I, I love that you just said that so can drink. Cause when I was drinking, like, what was I doing when I was drinking?
1: Yeah.
2: I sit on my couch watching bullshit reruns and then I would piss my pants after I would pass out. <laughs> That, like, there's nothing cool about that, you know?
1: Nope. But yeah, I mean, and that's something that I kind of like thought of the other day. I was like, I was like, oh man, like, I'm kind of bored right now. And like, usually I'll just go, you know, open a bottle of wine or whiskey or whatever the hell I have. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of boring too. Like really, if you think about it, like you're just tricking your brain into thinking you're not bored when you're drinking because you're just physically like picking something mm-hmm. up and getting to a different state. But like you could just do that in other ways.
2: Yeah. There's there's one thing it it was at my first uh my re- first like recovery meetup. It wasn't like a full-on retreat, it was like a weekend meetup, but surrounding myself with like some cool, sober people and like the shit that we did it was i mean it was like it was stupid stuff we played like a matching card game and played horse at the hotel basketball hoop (laughs) but it was just like silly stuff like that but um when i've been able to surround myself with other sober people who also it you know it doesn't have to be this like malaise of like well i I just don't want to fuck up my life anymore but like i want to embrace my life and live it to the fullest yeah exactly
1: It's like, I mean, I've been drinking my entire adult life and I feel like becoming sober. It's almost like becoming a kid again in a way. I mean, yeah, I've got like some stupid adult shit to do, but yeah, like, but I am playing matching games with my kids and I am like, I actually like, I get to be a kid with my kids.
2: Yeah. I love that. To be a kid again, we can, we can like have this curiosity for life that, Mm -hmm. that somehow gets dulled, Just like. I think adulthood kind of does that, whether it's society or responsibility or what the heck ever, <laughs> yeah. but drinking it, de- drinking definitely dulled that into in me and and that's something sobriety and recovery is you know we can try things, I can try a new hobby, try a different, yeah. art, try a different game,
1: yeah, and I think like the first time that I stopped drinking, I was so focused on not drinking and and just discovering who. I actually am as a sober person mm-hmm. like I had so, I, I could oh my god, I could feel emotions like holy moly that was that was tough that was really tough to feel emotions and and I feel like I should have been used to that because like going back to when I got pregnant and I was like, man, like this sucks I can't drink like your body's has so many hormones and it's just all of the emotions and then all of a sudden like my coping mechanism's taken away and it's like, wow like luckily I had a very easy pregnancy but <laughs> Um, so, so yeah. Like this time, I have a way better handle on my emotions, and I mean, through two years of therapy, too, that also helps. I highly, highly recommend a therapist. But yeah, it just kind of it has been making things a little bit easier having all this practice sobriety under my belt.
2: That's good, Emily. We are already at the uh, at the rapid fire round. <laughs> All right, I know you're familiar in 30 to 60 seconds. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking?
1: Um, That my husband and I would grow apart.
2: That's a legit one. Uh, What is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol?
1: I can most definitely be a morning person
2: i glad there's some of you out there. <laughs> uh, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink?
1: Oh, man. Okay, so when I'm like really craving alcohol, a milkshake. I don't really care what kind. Um, but other than that, I just love anything with bubbles, soda water. There's some great non-alcoholic sparkling wine.
2: I just saw, speaking of a small small detour, I just saw this, uh, I'm probably way behind the curve, like trying to drink an entire bubbly water without burping. And that's on my list of things to do this weekend with my kids.
1: Man, we should have done it on the show.
2: Shit. Bonus episode. <laughs> I got a whole fridge full here. <laughs> <laughs> what is your plan on sobriety moving forward?
1: Just to... <laughs> Man, just to keep going, really that one day at a thing time, you know, it's just really a thing. I uh keeping myself busy for sure, continuing to talk to my friends about sobriety when I'm feeling, you know, not the best. I've got a lot of friends that are sober now too, which is cool. And they're fun. They're not boring.
2: That's good. <laughs> sober not boring. What is a technique that you use when you find yourself with a craving?
1: Um, getting a milkshake, moving, um, just getting up and walking around, breathe, just breathing, journaling. I got a whole arsenal, really.
2: That's good. What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are either in recovery or thinking about getting sober?
1: Collect some data, do some research, journal, and just go for it because really you're the only one that can keep your bad decisions from ruining everything.
2: And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line.
1: All right, you might need to ditch the booze if you are filling up breast milk storage bags with six ounces of 101 proof whiskey to shoot after you pump in a bathroom solid work.
2: Could be time. <laughs> if, if you're what are the what the heck is those? I want to say Menlo. That's not it. It's the there's a brand of breast pump. Anyway. Medella, that's, uh, er, but, yeah no, that's a beer. Della. <laughs> yeah. If that thing sm- smells like whiskey. Oh, take a look.
1: Uh <laughs> oh, good lord.
2: Emily, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. I appreciate it. And um, I think there's a lot of people in the service industry that can, that can stand to gain something from you sharing your story. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it. I think you're doing a great job.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
2: All right, sister. Thank you.
1: All right. Have a good day.
2: You too. Recovery Elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Paul mentioned it in the intro and I want to make one more push for recovery reinvented North Dakota's first lady, Catherine Bergum, alongside her husband, governor Doug Bergum, are hosting North Dakota's annual recovery reinvented conference. They've got a great lineup of speakers from experts in addiction, community advocates, and people in recovery as well. I'm going to have the chance to do five short form interviews during the conference with some amazing people in recovery. This event will be held in-person on November 3rd in Grand Forks. But, if you can't make it to Grand Forks, don't worry, the event is available online as well. It's 100% free to attend, whether you're online or in-person, you just have to register. To do so, head on over to recoveryreinvented.com. On the homepage, you'll see a register now button and you'll get to pick how to attend. I went to this event last year and it was amazing. The speakers all had a heart for people in recovery, and the guest storytellers absolutely crushed it. It's an honor to be able to participate this year. Catherine has 20 years of sobriety and took on this cause when she became the First Lady. To quote her, I'm dreaming of a bright future for our state, a future where prevention works, treatment is effective, and people recover from addiction, and where we unite to help those affected by the disease of addiction. Conferences like this are moving the needle. We are moving the needle. By continuing to share our stories and keeping the conversation going, we're creating a world where it's okay to recover. Again, to check out the event info or to register now, head on over to www.recoveryreinvented.com. We're the only ones that can do this, re, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.